This is Drew Locke, and you're listening to Roster Watch. Ladies and gentlemen, Roster Watch Nation, welcome back to the Epic Roster Watch Podcast brought to you by rosterwatch.com. My name is Alex Dunlap, and we have a very, very special guest here on the phone lines with us. He is a young man who was a former NFL scout. He's a now a researcher for the NFL Network and the Next Gen Stats Department, the analytics department they have over there at the NFL. He is an all-time GOAT of Roster Watch Nation, always a member of the Roster Watch family. His name is Mike Band. You can follow him on Twitter at MBandNFL. And before we get started with this conversation with Mike, which is going to be a basically a top 13 mock draft for the upcoming NFL draft next week, just a quick reminder, if you guys love the Roster Watch podcast, please give us a rating and a review wherever it is that you listen, most especially in Apple Podcasts. And if you want more of the Roster Watch podcast featuring me, Byron Lambert, the Trashman, and other uh, epic guests like Mike Band, you can get a pro membership at rosterwatch.com where you have access to all of the pro podcasts where there are multiple episodes weekly. With that said, Mike Band, uh, from, from from New York, New York, all the way from California. What the hell's going on, brother? I'm doing well. Good to be back, my man. Uh, good to talk to you. Good to, you know, simply be that we're one week out from, from next week's draft and excited to talk out you know, the top 13, what's going on with you? I, just, I figure a lot of these people will want me to ask you questions about what your job's like there with next gen stats and everything like that. But we just don't have time <laughs> because of like, I know once we get talking about this, this mock draft, it's just going to, the, the time's just going to fly by. So I, I say, let's just get started. We have the Arizona Cardinals here at number one. I think you and I both, you know, I mean, what are the chances that it's not Kyler Murray? I would say at this point, it probably uh, 10, 20% that, that they don't take him. And, and really, they, it would have to be a King's Ransom trade-up that would have to happen for them to trade down and accumulate uh, basically a, a, a boatload of picks for now in the future to address you know the, the multiple needs that they have. But if... If you're Cliff Kingsbury and you've got a whole new slate, a whole new regime, I mean, you're one of the youngest coaches in the NFL right now. There's a reason. This is the type of situation where, okay, I didn't draft the guy last year. I, that, that wasn't really my decision. And the reason why, you, if you are Cliff Kingsbury, make that decision to take Kyler Murray and trade Josh Rosen is because the NFL is a winner-take-all league. There's only one Super Bowl winner. There's only one best team. So in that case, does Kyler Murray give you the best chance to be the best team in a given NFL season? I would say that based off of his tools, based off of his, uh, uh, his mental abilities, it, it, we have never seen a quarterback like this, Alex. It's been, 
I mean, it's been, it, it's a combination of Michael Vick's athleticism with Steve Young's like arm, arm strength and, and, and ability to, to be the dual threat of a, of a passer and rusher. I just think in today's NFL, a guy like Kyler Murray could change the, the, the dynamic of your offense uh, and, and make you an elite offense. And I think I, I just think, man, um, but if we're talking about mixing him up with all those elite players, we probably also need to say that he's got a little mix of like the, those guys from the lollipop guild from uh, from from Willy Wonka. It's true, but but I think a lot of these guys, it, it's a new age of an it, it's a new world. Uh, it, there's a lot of value in being able to pick up a third and seven, a third and nine, a third and eleven, and he can do that. And that's probably the biggest threat that that his the schemes and coverages that he will face because of his ability to to make plays with his feet is what's going to free him up and make him you know it's going to free up his receivers. It's going to free up. You know uh, the responsibilities of his of his offensive line. I mean, it, it's he has the potential to change the game for and progress it to that dual threat, the the ability to to be multiple and to be dynamic. I mean, tell me why you think that Kyler Murray has any chance of being a bust? Oh, I, I well, I think that any of these guys have a chance. Well, for Wolf, for one, I don't necessarily think that Kyler Murray is going to be a bust. I was just going to say like. You know, when we when we talk about the just when we talk about the legs of Mike Vick, we are talking about the legs of legs that are on a just a bigger dude. But like, no, I've seen Kyler up close and personal ever since he was in high school. I mean, I've I've been I've been around him since he was a, a, a high schooler here in Texas, a record breaking elite. You know, like they talk about that he was the best college football quarterback from a statistical and an efficiency standpoint. Um, he was the same way as a high school football athlete here and here in Texas. Um, I would say the reasons I worry about him being a bust is for one, his personality. He gets it from his dad. He's like, I, I worry that he's going to have a contentious relationship with uh, teams and organizations because that's the way that his father was. Um, I believe, you know, we can look back and I believe that he had a litigious relationship with the Milwaukee Brewers. I'd have to go back and look and see the exact team, but certainly just a complete helicopter dad, a nightmare to deal with uh, as a recruit and during the various times that he uh, transferred during college, et cetera, et cetera. You know, not good at dealing with the media. So there are some reasons you worry about him just from a personality standpoint. But no, I mean, I think from a from a physical standpoint and a prototypical, you know, quarterback attribute sort of you know, angle that we're looking at here, I think the only thing you worry about is, is, is the size and can he hold up? And I'm not necessarily that worried about it because like you say, you, we've seen him take over football games. With, with with like take over football games and look like Superman. So I'm not worried about it. I've never been too worried about it. The people that said he was going to come in at five foot eight at the combine, I told them that they're ridiculous. I've stood next to him. You know, I, I feel like he's got the he's got the requisite size to be just fine. But I think if you just I think if if you say like he's a hundred percent certainty and I'm not worried at all about the size, I think that that you know that's a little bit pres- presumptuous. I think that you know. There's certainly ways that he can bust and the ways that he can bust are size and, you know, personality and, you know, the looming. I mean, I don't care what Eric Burkhardt, his agent says. And what's interesting is Eric Burkhardt also is Cliff Kingsbury's agent, which makes all of this very interesting with how, you know, negotiations could have started a long time ago on this thing. But, um, you know, the looming 
even though Burkhart says, you know, he's 100% committed to football, there still is a looming issue there with baseball that could eventually draw him back. So I would say those are the ways that he could bust. All valid points. And, and, and I think that if you were talking 20 years ago, this is why a lot of these quarterbacks would have busted in the mid-90s. You know, he's got a, a, a similar skill you know, uh, skill set to to the Achilles Smiths and the and the uh, Charlie Wards of the, of 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 the of the '90s, but it was a different type of game, a different style of game, and I just think that his his combination of athleticism and arm talent is what propels him and what force and, and what makes the Cardinals back out of trading up for you, you know, I mean, they gave up draft capital to move up for for Josh Rosen last year, so now. You're on the brink of okay. You've got to trade Josh Rosen, but you don't have the leverage, knowing that uh, that other teams know you're going to take Kyler Murray. What can you get for for Josh Rosen on the open market, and who's interested? Well, and that's going to be something that obviously we'll have to just see what happens. We, we we've heard the you know we've heard the Giants thrown around. We've heard the Redskins thrown around. I don't think that the you know the Dolphins. You and I thought that that might have been a good fit last season for a couple of reasons, but I don't think with the way that that situation has unfolded that uh, there's going to be any inter- real interest there. It's, it, it's, it's going to be fascinating to watch, fascinating to see. I, I think what goes without saying, our number one, both of us uh, in this initial mock, which certainly we should <laughs> we should add, this it probably our mocks will change be- before we each have to turn them in for the huddle report contest, I, I would guess. But in this first initial run through of these top 13 teams, uh, you and I have both have Kyler Murray, quarterback from Oklahoma, slotted to go to the Arizona Cardinals. Yep. Let's move. Uh, anything else on 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 that, or that, besides the just fucking why? How has Steve Kahn not gotten fired? Like how is like I? It, it's I, I true. Mean, it's, it, just, it's, it, it's true, but but that would sort of mean that you've got Cliff Kingsbury coming in on his first NFL job and. and uh, and essentially firing the GM and selecting his own guy. I don't think you do that if you're if you're Michael Bidwell. I think mm-hmm. Steve Keim and you know they've they've had a scouting department entrenched there for ten plus years. You and I have seen the same guys every year at the Senior yeah. Bowl wearing yeah. Cardinals gears. So I, I think you know firing the GM is is definitely a, a almost more of a uh, of a commitment and and reset button than uh, than is to, for for head coach. But yeah, I, I think. You know, going back on, on what you can get for Josh Rosen, I think it's probably going to come down to a, a second and third or fourth type of combination where where the team get, that gets Josh Rosen also gets a fourth or fifth. And so that's my guess on, on a trade right now, if we're to have to say. I, I say that they go that they uh, it, it's a move with the Washington Redskins uh, for a second and third and the Redskins get Rosen and a fourth. All right, let's move on here to the pick number two, the San Francisco 49ers. Uh, clearly a team that I feel like at this point in time, a little bit, I, I mean, it's probably not quite a make or break this year for, you know, John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan just because, you know, they, you know, after the Jimmy Garoppolo trade two years ago, they were just a team that was surging. Then you lose Jimmy Garoppolo before the season even starts last year. Um, but you know, this is a team that does have some holes to fill. They have some needs. They definitely need like in the secondary for sure. Uh, they did add D Ford in free agency, but they could probably use a little bit more help. Um, they're on the edge of the defense. You can always use help along the, you know, they're in the defensive line, even though that they've, they have, you know, they have addressed sort of that defensive line with, 
pretty high draft capital uh, in in recent years. Wide receiver, you hear him talking, you know, you hear that bandied about. I mean, they honestly were in the sweepstakes for both Odell Beckham and Antonio Brown. So um, they, you know, they could have needs there, but I could not see them taking a wide receiver this early. You and I both believe that the selection here will be Nick Bosa. Uh, what is your, what is your rationale here? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, if they do take Bosa, it will be the fourth defensive lineman drafted in the top 10 in the last five drafts by the 49ers. Eric Armstead, Forrest Buckner, Solomon Thomas, and now Nick Bosa. And Solomon so, Thomas, they traded up for that guy, didn't they? Or did they, they trade down? No, they, they traded, traded down. down, right. It was the right. Trubisky trade. It was just one spot. So, anyway. he's 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 kind of been a bust, huh? So what, uh, you know, looking into the numbers, and this is from Next Gen Stats, Solomon Thomas kicked inside and played uh, on the interior on third down on 78% of snaps. So if you're talking about an edge pass rusher, a guy who can make plays, and, and really their biggest thing, the, the biggest issue that the 49ers had last season was forcing takeaways. They forced seven takeaways all season, all season. And how do you create? That is, that is, that's an unbelievable statistic. It, it, that it, had to be worse than the league. It absolutely was. It was seven less than the next closest team. The next closest team at 14. <laughs> oh, God. That's, that's embarrassing. It, it is. And, and how do you create turnovers? Well, yes, you can draft and develop cornerbacks and sign cornerbacks. Well, I mean, they, they, they brought back Jimmy Ward. They still have Richard Sherman on the roster. They added Jason Verrett on a one-year deal from, from – Chargers. So, from a standpoint of immediate needs, I forgot. I, 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 I forgot Jason Verrett. That's an important note to make as I go as I think about this draft for sure. It, it is, but Verrett hasn't been healthy. I don't think he's played much over the last two years. Two. Long. Well, yeah, it's been two years. He's been hurt, right. but he's still. I mean, he's. I. I, I don't know. I think he's still good. But I, I. I guess we'll see. Right. So. So. So going back to the stat of, of seven takeaways, D. Ford is the one who caused ten pressures because of a sack or pressure. So that, that from next gen stats, there you go. D Ford forced the most turnovers based off of generating pressure on the quarterback last season. So with that said, you still need a guy opposite Ford. And in that, in in, in the case of, of in passing down, Solomon Thomas isn't necessarily that guy. So if you want to create a, a fear defense and you want to create a pass rush that can you know play against a, a Russell Wilson in your division, play against you know the the moving pocket of Jared Goff, I think you need another solid cornerstone piece on the other end on the other side and and that's nick and, that, and that's nick bosa we have, we are in agreement on the first two picks and we are in agreement with on the third pick and i don't think this is going to change for me um as we you know get into our 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 final ones actually my top four are, are going to change and it's, it's going to be chalk but for the new york jets you and i both have josh allen the outside linebacker slash you know edge defensive end whatever like a OLB mostly out of Kentucky. Um, for me, you know, it's pretty simple for me with this one. It's the 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 New York Jets haven't had a. I can't remember the last time the New York Jets had a decent edge rusher. I can't Cal- even think of who it was. Cal- Calvin Pace. I mean, all right. I mean, and that's really the last you could think of. It's I mean, like. That- it's pretty it, it's bad. Really, it's, uh, they've missed on a lot of guys, a lot of guys. Yeah, Josh Allen's a freaky, uh, a freaky player. He came back, uh, you know, he got much, much better 
much bigger, uber productive player that you can you can watch his tape versus guys who are either going to be in the NFL this year or who have already gone on to the NFL and you know see see his production, his bend off the edge. I'm not saying that I think he's a can't miss kind of prospect. I would much 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 rather have a uh, Nick Bosa out of this class if I'm just taking an edge defender. But I think that Josh Allen's clearly just in a, in a tier of his own sort of underneath him. For one, like t- talk about why you like him here. And for two, do you, I mean, do you put him in the same category as a Nick Bosa? Do you think he can have that kind of impact? So he's, he's a different type of player than Nick Bosa. Bosa's going to win with, you know, a true put your hand in the ground and, and, and rush you from the edge with power, strength, and, and a flash. The exact same way as his brother wins, right? Exactly. The exact same way, right. It, it, it's, it's pretty unbelievable how similar their pass rush wins. <laughs> it, you, it is. you could put their tape next to each other, and they're doing the same hand tech, you know, with their, 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 uh, the, basically their, their, their ability to shock at the point of attack and, 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 and disengage from, from blockers is what makes them so special. Um, but but really with Josh Allen, I mean he's a very multiple guy, a guy you can play a lot of different positions for you. You know what I would say is their interest in Anthony Barr and and, and you know the fourteen dollar oh, contract that that yep. he reportedly signed during the during the negotiation window. I mean Allen has almost an identical profile to Anthony Barr coming out. That's of the reason. That's the best reason why. That's the best reason to mock to mock Allen here. It's exactly the perfect reason. They 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 wanted Barr. They would have had him had he not have gotten cold feet. They want that for their defense. That's exactly right. And, and what it really comes down to, and this is a world where every draft board is a little bit different, but you could imagine a world where Quentin Williams has a higher grade than Josh Allen. And what do we know from Mike McCagan in the past? Well, he's had the ability to simply take the best player available where he's been where he's been selecting. I mean, you know, remember the Jamal Adams selection, the 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 Leonard Williams, these were clear and obvious picks. Now, if you're both on this if Quentin Williams and Josh Allen are both similarly graded, then you can you can justify the the pick of taking Josh Allen and the need. But it's also not out of the realm that Quentin Williams could be among the highest graded players on your draft board, in that case, you might have to take him at three just from the standpoint of what he would do to your defense. Now, with Leonard Williams, Henry Anderson, Steve McClendon still on the roster, and, and remember they invested in Nathan Shepard on the interior, you're pretty set there. And then you've got Jordan Jenkins and Frankie Louvu as your, as your starting edge rushers right now. It comes down to need will play out for the Jets. Josh Allen, perfect fit. He goes three to the Jets. I, I said at the Senior Bowl that Nathan Shepard reminded me of like a guy playing the role of a defensive tackle, like in a movie that's about uh, the people in a jailhouse putting together a football team. <laughs> <laughs> he looks, he looks that mean and nasty. Uh, yeah, so uh, yep. yes, I, I think that um, I think he's a guy that could come on. They, they just, they just need edge, and and so Josh Allen, uh, welcome to the New York Jets. Uh, number four, Oakland Raiders. You and I both had the same, um, and I thought that we'd be different on four and five, but we're we're we're, we're not. Uh, but first, let's talk about four. The Oakland Raiders. You and I both mocked Quinn and Williams here, the outstanding interior defensive lineman from Alabama, and just for me, I, I mean, he's like a he's like a little 
not little, but he's he's just like a cherry bomb, right in the middle of the defense. He just he extends and explodes, and he he gets these guys off. He, he can he can create pressure up the middle. He can he can be a one gap penetrator. He can push these guys off and diagnose from gap to gap uh, in a in a in a two gapping sort of sort of way, and just just be an absolute menace, creating run stuffs and everything like that. And then you hear about how well he's done in the interviews, you know, and you see how young he is. And he's a, he's, I mean, just an amazing prospect. And we've just, we've heard, we've had the pleasure of hearing May, uh, and uh, like we can say it now, Mayock is just, was just the goat as far as draft analysts. And we have the distinct distinct pleasure of being able to hear that guy for 10 or 15 years and hear his analysis. And what does he always say? If if, if he was going to build his team, you know, if he was the GM and he was going to build a team, he's always going to want to build it around his guys, these big, tough difference makers in the trenches. Um, the only thing that I said, and, and I, I told you, uh, you know, they did draft Maurice Hurst and PJ Hall, who they've been happy with. And it seems like they've struck gold with those two guys. But I just, I think that a guy like Quentin Williams falls here. It's like, if you're, if, if, if I just can't imagine a more Mike Mayock first pick as the GM of, of, of the Raiders than Quentin Williams. That, that's exactly right. And, and, and my vision is of Mayock and, and John Gruden sitting in, in the draft room, and they're just saying, "Hey, if this guy's on this on the board, we've got our Warren Sapp. I mean, we've got our dinner <laughs> oh, yeah, from the interior. Yeah. It, 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 that is truly his 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 best com- comparison. I really believe Quinn and Williams will be among. I mean, it, he's my top guy, top guy on my on my big board. And from the standpoint of of making an impact and and being a potential Hall of Fame player, I think he's probably got the tools and the ability. I mean, we've seen the impact Aaron Donald can make from the interior. Now we also have seen how teams can scheme away from Aaron Donald. And that's the only issue about, you know, is an edge pass rusher more valuable than an interior guy? And that's certainly what the Raiders need. After, you know, missing, you know, after trading Khalil Mack and picking up those picks, they still really haven't addressed the edge role of the edge pass rushing role so if a guy like Nick Bosa a guy like Josh Allen are on the board I do think that they would still consider that route but in the end they see Quentin Williams is their next Warren Sapp and and run to the podium at number four with the way this is with with the way that the board is falling I'll bet they would I'll bet they would consider I'll bet they would consider Nick Bosa but not Josh Allen yep yep I can see that too I can Um, see that Okay, let's go to the fifth pick here. And this one, I was surprised because I think since you and I first talked about this, you might have changed it. Because my pick for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers was, from the very beginning, Ed Oliver. It looks like that's where you're slating him in here on this one, the defensive lineman uh, out of out of, out of of Houston. Um, and like I told you, I, I know they took Vita Vea last year. And to me, this just comes down to a couple things. One – we don't know what the, what's going to happen with with Gerald McCoy, and maybe you have some you know more thoughts about him. I just know that that situation is still up in the air, and I also know that man. Sometimes this NFL draft is like it's a flat circle, dude. And like we talked about this coming into the fall of last year, saying the first two picks, like it's going to be Nick Bosa, it's going to be Ed Oliver. These two guys are the sickest that there are. And we've seen Ed Oliver drop in these mock drafts and go sometimes 12 and 15 and all this. Stuff. And like, lo and behold, as we get back here towards the draft, people are talking about him like a top three or four prospect in this draft. And in every single mock draft that you see, the, he falls to like eight or nine and the team runs to the podium to go get him. You know, I just I don't think he's going to fall that far. 
I think he's a top five player in the class. I think with I just think when you take that into consideration, along with the fact that uh, that, that that there is some I, I, maybe you can tell me exactly what's what's going on with Gerald McCoy, but I believe I don't think he he showed up for the voluntary team workouts, and um, you know it's something that the organization is still kind of mum about. Um, he's, he's getting up there in age. Like, did that factor into your decision? Why did you mock Ed Oliver to the Bucks, and, and what's your book on him? Yeah, absolutely. So, so, I mean, this is a new, this is a new coaching staff. So we've got, uh, you know, Bruce Arians brought in his old defensive coordinator, Todd Bowles, who's, you know, they're going to install a, a three, a new three, four base defense. And now granted everyone plays 50, 60% nickel, but still, I mean, having a base three, four means that you've got to have the right personnel. And, you know, from, the standpoint of, of what Gerald McCoy does well as a as a gap shooter, a guy, you know, a true three tech uh, from the standpoint of, of what you're paying him at at the age of 31. I mean, he's got three years left on his deal at 13 million a, a year, but he's also he, he costs zero dollars in dead money if you release him. So regardless, the future of this team is not going to have Gerald McCoy on it. And really, I mean, even after selecting Vita Bay in the first round last year, I think you got to w- look at selecting the best pass rusher that you can add, period. I mean, w- we know that this could be a front seven player. I've been going back and forth whether or not you could justify having Devin White as a similar grade as at, at Oliver. Talk about some speed at the linebacker position. How fast? Devin White sure plays fast. I, I don't know if his 40 was fast. But um, I, I, haven't, I, don't, I don't have that number up. But golly, Levante, David, and I mean, Devin, that would just be. Yeah, I mean, well, well, Devin White ran, ran the fastest uh, 40 time among all linebackers. You okay, so yeah, I mean, he, okay, so I mean, so, so, right, right. Yeah, so I, so I mean, he's, he's, he would definitely add that element of speed that they lost with Quan Alexander when he signed with the with the 49ers. And, and, and really, I mean, they've got Levante David, but you know he's getting older and getting up there. I, they made some plays. I believe they signed Deion Buchanan, who was originally a Bruce Arians guy. You, you know, you could definitely see them in, over the years invest in that type of position. Um, it, it comes down to, again, whether or not you believe that Ed Oliver is significantly better than Devin White, but they they both addressed a key need for Tampa, and I think that really it, it comes down to Ed Oliver being the highest, the higher graded player. I I totally agree. I, I think, like I said, I think things always come back f- full circle in the NFL draft, and when they do, it's just you draft the when things are tied like this, you draft the best player, and sometimes, man, just during this whole process. We can really get, you know, it's it, it can become paralysis by analysis. You know, sometimes you, you don't have to make this hard, right? Ed Oliver is just an unbelievable prospect. Okay, uh, a little bit of a divergence here. Um, looks like for number six, the New York Giants. My selection was Dwayne Haskins just because I – kind of the same thing. Coming back full circle, uh, you know, Dwayne Haskins has gotten poo-pooed in the media over the last couple of the course of the last few weeks. People saying that he's falling in the eyes of certain scouts and everything. I don't necessarily know if that's the case. I just know that Dwayne Haskins is a, is a, is a really, really good quarterback, man. He's going to be a good quarterback prospect in the NFL. He's, 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 he has some things that he needs to clean up, but he's a pocket passer. Uh, a lot like Eli Manning. We know that that team loves Eli Manning and is building the offense around him. And I think that they're dumb enough to think like, look, we keep this thing the same with Eli. We can have Dwayne come in and learn underneath him. 
and hopefully, uh, as opposed to what the Dolphins are doing, maybe try and you know carve out some wins right now while we're uh, while we have this guy in training, and then this way, whenever he steps in to take over, you know, to to take over the reins, um, we we sh- we should be on the ramp sort of back up. Which I'm not sure if that's going to be the case, but I do think that they need a quarterback. Uh, they probably should have taken one last year, even though their front front office will say like. How could you ever say that? We drafted the guy that's this the offensive rookie of the year, which I mean, is, I mean, you can argue till you're blue in the face about this stuff, and people are just going to see it their own different ways. I have Dwayne Haskins as as, as the guy going here. Tell us about your pick. Yeah, absolutely. So I mean, you said you hit on it. It getting blue in the face. This is by far the biggest puzzle piece of the draft. Figuring out what the Giants' plans are going to be with the number six and the number seventeen pick. Now, you know. It's not about uh, will they take a quarterback. It's about which quarterback and when. Um, I'm going to go with a little surprise. Uh, I'm, I believe that their draft board looks like this. If they, can, if they could trade up for Kyler Murray, I think that they would. If the number two guy on the board, and this is who I have them taking at number six overall, is Drew Locke, quarterback from Missouri, I've, I then have them ta- uh, with Daniel Jones as their number three guy. Dwayne Haskins four and Will Greer five. Now here's why I have th- this is my. Big is it with that. Haskins because he was so sloppy at the combine? Do you think? It, that, it, I mean, did it, did that have something to do with his fall? Because I, I do remember he's like it, it didn't he showed help. up. It didn't look too good. Right? It didn't help. I, I mean, you don't need your quarterback to be the, a, a, a fantastic athlete. You, you know, you can live with a four nine guy and 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 be an effective quarterback, but. But my, my biggest reason of, of ranking those guys in that order, Locke, Jones, Haskins, is really comes down to Pat Shermer's offense. So Pat Shermer, you know, he was in Minnesota before taking on the job last year. If you remember, actually, Eli Manning was rolling around. I mean, he was he was running a lot of play action, a lot of moving in the pocket. You know, you look at what Case Keenum did well when he was in Pat Shermer. You look at what they did, um, you know, uh, with – in Philadelphia when he was Chip Kelly's uh, offensive coordinator. It's predicated on moving the pocket, a lot of horizontal crossing routes, a lot of attacking the seams. I mean, so from the standpoint of all of those traits, I don't think Eli Manning as the the prototype is is how you can evaluate the the quarterback that that's fair that's fair all right that's fair enough I, I guess what I guess what I was what I was saying is it seems like they're they're Either even if Eli's not their product, you're what what you're distinguishing is the difference in what Shermer would optimally look for in a quarterback, and you're distinguishing that from what, what I'm I'm sorry excuse me what is seemingly the fact that that team does appear to think that they can win with Eli Manning and the fact that they seem to be sticking by him at least for now. No, absolutely, and, and okay. No, I mean, that makes perfect sense to me. I mean, and then also with Daniel Jones, you have the whole thing, you know, if you want to go further down the Eli Manning um, pathway, you know, you like they both those guys have, you know, great relationships with coach with coach cut or right. coach, coach, coach David Cutcliffe. No, that's exactly right. And, and but, you know, this isn't about making the transition from Eli to the next quarterback easy. And I think that's what that's the connection, right? You, no, okay, I get that. Yeah, you know, get it, that. Yeah. It, it, it's a competition, and you know, it, it's about winning football games. 
Now, if I were in charge, I would take Dwayne Haskins, and I'm with you. I think he's going to be a good one, and I'll talk about him in a couple picks where I think he'll go. But from the standpoint of, of, of fit, I think Drew Locke sort of has the flash, you know, the, the, the traits that, that would sort of that – that Gettleman would appeal to, the big arm, you know, the good size, the good athleticism. You know, I mean, Drew Locke, he ran a 4-1-2 shuttle time. That's better than a lot of running backs out there. So you, you want to talk about traits. You want to talk about, you know, Moxie. He played in the SEC compared to, you know, Daniel Jones in the ACC and, 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 uh, and, and Haskins in the Big Ten. I think you'd even say that Drew Locke is more battle-tested than those guys as far as facing SEC-type defenses. And I know I, I, I'm, I'm, t- I'm talking to a Big 12 guy, but I really think that, that that's the way that these guys are thinking, that, that, okay, he showed off this tape in this game where he displayed this type of moxie that they might, you know, arbitrarily look for in a quarterback. And that's why, you know, it, if I were to, uh, to make the best guess, I would say that Daniel Jones would be the pick potentially by trading up from 17 to 13 or something along those lines. But if you're just trying to connect the dots of, of what they're looking for in a guy, Drew Locke might be that guy. And, and, and I don't think he's going to be a great quarterback. I think he's got Ryan Tannehill, uh, a lot of Ryan Tannehill, Tannehill to his game. When it comes down yeah. to it, though, that's that's the type of guy that they're looking for, and I think that you know it, they'll surprise the world and 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 really consider you know taking Lockett six when they might have been able to even get him at 13, 15, 17. Yeah, I mean, I I don't like Drew Lock, but I think that I. But here's the thing: I don't I don't like how the Giants draft, and I and I I, I totally understand what you're saying, and I know that you you know you have. You know, unique insight to you know what was going on there in in in, in Minnesota, and kind of what the kind of guy that Sherman would look for. So it's like it makes makes sense to me. We both have him picking quarterback. I'm not sure. Like that's just the story of the draft, man. Like what the Giants. I think right here at six is you know what do the Giants do? You yeah, know, exactly. uh, pick number seven, the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mocked the T.J. Hawkinson here, the tight end out of Iowa. Uh, the reason I chose him was for really just two reasons, three really. One, he's a he's a total badass if you just if you just watch him, um, and I don't think that's anything new to new to anybody. He's basically a top ten player on virtually every draft analyst's big board, and you hear from folks like Bob McGinn and others that get really good insight from NFL scouts. Uh, you hear from them that you know, NFL teams sort of feel the same way. And so whenever I look at the needs the Jaguars have, well, they do have a need at the tight end position. Also, you just bring in Nick Foles. We know that what the MO of that team is, it's going to be block the, you know, block the shit out of the front seven on defense and, and pave holes for Leonard Fournette, who they have gotten rid of basically everybody else in that, in, in, in that running back room. I mean, TJ, you know, TJ Yeldon now gone, they've done nothing to replace him. This is going to be like Leonard Fournette. Finally, you know, if he could stay healthy, this is going to be finally the Leonard Fournette volume monster. You bring in a guy like TJ Hawkinson who can block like a demon and basically be a sixth offensive lineman for you and be a dynamic threat up the seam for Nick Foles, who we've seen come out of a system there in Philadelphia that utilized two tight end sets with those with those guys like um, Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard so often. You know, those are kind of the types of throws he's very comfortable making. Uh, so th- this is a pick for me that just made the most sense. It kind of kills two birds with, with one stone. Where, where are you going here at pick number seven for the Jags? 
Yeah, I, I really like the TJ Hawkinson pick. I, I think it would be a a, a smart selection uh, as far as you know bringing in what your scheme, you know, what would fit and what would help Nick Foles the most because that's what it comes down to, right? You, you bring in, you pay a guy, you know, for that much money. You've got to either protect him or you've got to add pass backers <laughs> for him. And so that's clearly what they're going to do uh, early in this draft. I mean, it really comes down to do you take the offensive tackle uh, or do you take a pass catcher? Or do you even consider one of these top defensive linemen? Um, so when it comes down to it, I've got them taking Juwan Taylor, uh, the tackle out of Florida. I, with question marks at both tackle positions, I mean, their current starters right now, Cam Robinson and Will Richardson, played a combined 71 total snaps last season. Both well, that's because they were hurt. Because they, they got Cam, Cam Robinson's a good player, right? right I mean, we can get to him. Right. So, so, so you've got a whole. You, you've got issues from in, as far as pass protection last season. Will Richardson is you know your fourth round pick last year. Can he be the guy? Probably best suited as a swing guy. So what do you do? Well, you, you go to the school about an hour and a half away from you. You see that Juwan Taylor is probably going to be the the longest standing right tackle in this draft. And, and, and when it comes down to do you take do you take the tackle or do you take the pass catcher now? And with this draft and, and, and analytically speaking, you know, if you take a tight end number seven, you got to pay him number seven dollars. That means instantly he's making four or five million dollars a year that would put him in the top 13, top 14 contracts. And, and, and what that does really from from your from the team building standpoint is is now you've got to take a lesser uh, uh that next tier of, of offensive linemen, certainly from the, from a depth perspective, is 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 an issue across every draft. So you're going to be able to find pass catchers in the second and third rounds a lot more, uh, a lot, basically at, at both of your selections in those in those rounds more than you would necessarily at number seven. So analytically speaking, you've got to you know question whether or not it's worth it to take a a tight end at number seven. But if you believe Hawkinson is that transcendent talent who can both block, catch, be, you know, among the best all around tight ends that we've seen in a while, or at least, you know, in the, in the, in the mold of a George Kittle, in the mold of a, of a more athletic Jason Witten, in the mold of a, of a Rob Gronkowski. I mean, that's the value that he could bring. So in my, in this mock though, I'm, I still think that they value the right tackle just as, as, much as they value the left tackle. Um, and in that case, you've got to protect your key asset. I've got Juwan Taylor going seven to the Jaguars. I mean, that, that would have been my other pick. I mean, I, th- those, are the two, those are the two picks that um, – those are the two picks that I would have – you know, it, for, for me, it, w- it would be Taylor or it would be Hawk Hawkinson, and I'm going to go back and forth on those. Let's, let's, let's go to eight where you have a trade. I mean, for me, it's like – I, I haven't I haven't put in this trade here, so I'll just tell you, you know, the, the Lions are the ones that are supposed to pick at eight. And this is like the hardest one for me because it feels like they could go edge, right? But I mean they also need help at corner, but I think it's too early for any of these corners. Do you like do you like Greedy Williams? So I, I, there's a lot of questions about Greedy Williams. I, I worry about his mental makeup. There's been a lot of concern about, you know, the way his his work ethic, his attitude. Uh, and really his just his physicality is his willingness to support, you know, in, in run support. Um, you know, he's, he's a, a strong corner. He's a good cover corner can play in both man zone schemes. I just don't see any cornerback, you know, being. I don't think there's going to be one here. 
Do you, well, what about Brian? Because to me, it comes down to like, maybe in this spot, you go with the premium position and you, and you go with edge. You're Matt Patricia, right? You just, you firm that thing up. And to me, it's like, I think about Montez Sweat and he was great at the senior bowl and great athletic measurables. But the ta- you go back and watch his tape. It leaves a look. I don't Brian Burns has better tape, but he's smaller. I just to me this is a really tough. I'm gonna have to work on it more. Like I did, I said for now. Like I think they could trade down, but I I didn't have enough time before the pod started to really think about exactly how it was gonna happen. So I'm just gonna I'm 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 gonna say the Lions here pick Brian Brian Burns, the edge defender out of FSU. What do you what do you have happening here? Yeah, so this is where uh, my first predicted trade is is gonna be. Uh, the Denver Broncos move up two spots from ten to eight uh, to take. Dwayne Haskins. Now, this is also contingent on him being on the board of this pick, uh, and this is certainly contingent on, on the Broncos targeting Haskins. Uh, but from what we've heard, the most likely team to trade down in the first ten picks is the Detroit Lions. It's <coughs> well, we you know, certain- we just kind of talked through why, right? I hate this pick. So essentially, the the Lions <coughs> one want to pick up more draft capital. That's the mo of of, of Bob Quinn and, and Patricia and the idea that you accumulate, you know, the, the Patriot draft model. I think that that's how they're going to approach the draft. So when you've got the eighth pick and you can move down two spots, what the only time that I really like to predict trades is when teams are moving around for their quarterback. And granted, in, in a mock draft, I don't even have to make this switch. The, the I've got the Lions taking TJ Hawkinson at 10 if he's on the board as a, you know, as that pass catching weapon that really to support Stafford in the offense. But going back to Denver, I think that if you do feel like you're like you're your guy, you don't want to wait, you know, Buffalo can move down or uh, with Miami or Washington and passings on the board. But the point is, is that you go get your guy. And for the Broncos, I really think that Elway sees, you know, a, a smart, a strong, a strong arm pocket passer with, uh, with to me, uh, the strongest football IQ of this draft. Now, I have the pleasure of, of meeting Dwayne Haskins. He attended my high school, Bullis High School in, in Potomac, Maryland. Shout wow. out, Bullis. Uh, when I met him as a sophomore in high school, really good kid. I mean, the coaches there I met with, you know, who I knew over the years, just raved about his, you know, his maturity at such a young age. And, you know, then he goes to Ohio State. Well, you know, my former boss while working for the Gators is their recruiting guy. What he told me, uh, in August, he's going to be a one-and-done guy. We're, we're going to lose him after this year. He's going to be a top-ten pick. And really what that comes down to is uh, this guy is the prototype that you would imagine writing up maybe 10, 15 years ago. He's going to fall because of potential athletic uh, mobility issues where he sort of limits you what you want to do schematically. But I think he does – he fits perfectly in what the Broncos want to do and what they're going to try to do with Joe Flacco. I think that they'll be able to sit Dwayne Haskins for at least a year because, you know, he is very young. He's, he came out as a redshirt sophomore, so he still has time to develop. I think he'll, he'll, he'll strengthen his body. I think he, he probably has the, the body type to become a better athlete. His, uh, he's a, he, his figure is a little doughy, I think, you know, getting back into the weight room and being in, around that team. I'm not going to say that Ohio State didn't get him ready. I'm just saying that he's got the big, the uh, a body frame to handle um, uh, the pressure of the NFL. So 
in the end, what I see happening is the Broncos target Haskins. Uh, they trade up, move up two spots, and, and really it's a one- to two-year plan with Joe Flacco and whether or not he can get you to where you want to be. I love it. I mean, I, I'm not sure they would trade up for Haskins in this spot. Well, I guess, yeah, because you already haven't taken Locke. Locke's already off the board, right? So, right. Um, it just it seems like we've heard Locke connected with those guys for a, for a long time. All right, uh, number nine, the Buffalo Bills. You and I both have them selecting offensive line just because we both know that offensive line was just absolute trash last year. Um, I had, you know, you, you already have Juwan Taylor off the board. This is where I have uh, the first offensive lineman in my mock going off the board is to the Buffalo Bills. We've talked about why we like him. Plug and play, right tackle, uh, road, road grader, absolute mauler. Um, he, he could, he would step in and probably be a starter on most NFL offensive lines. Most certainly the Buffalo bills. Where did, where did you go with this one? Yeah. So, so I, I really do think that they look at, at the offensive line. I mean, they brought in Mitch Morse to be their long-term center this off season, but they really haven't addressed much else. Um, you know, they've got Deion Dawkins, who I think they, they feel comfortable with, um, and they'll probably need another year or so to, to, basically determine whether or not they're going to extend him or actually, you know what? I believe that they did extend him last year. Point is, is is Ty Nish or Nishki from the Redskins uh, is their current slated to uh, currently slated to start at right tackle. Here's why the, the offensive line is such an important issue for the Buffalo bills. Josh Allen is your quarterback. His time to his average time to throw for next gen stats is above 3.2 seconds. It's among the longest in the league. So what you what do you have to do? Well, you got to hold your blocks longer. You got to have an offensive line that can win and 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 hold their blocks and maintain a pocket for for a guy who really the scheme is is based off of a vertical passing game. So if you've got a vertical passing game, you've longer developing routes. It's going to need a, a, a stable right tackle, a stable left tackle. However, you want to interchange them, they can play both sides these days, and that's why I've got them taking Jonah Williams. Now, I'm totally with you. Jawan Taylor is still on the board. He doesn't go seven to the Jaguars. I think Jawan Taylor would be the pick for the Buffalo Bills. And like we said earlier, if if we don't believe that Ed Oliver will be on the board at this pick, but if he were to fall to nine, I think he'd be the Buffalo Bills' dream. You know, replacing Kyle Williams. Uh, being able to make that impact as a pass rusher from the interior. Doesn't Jonah, doesn't Jonah Williams kind of bring us this, like hearing them both talk, doesn't he bring sort of the same kind of personality up there to Buffalo? Do you know what I mean? They kind of, those those two dudes kind of remind me of each other. Blue collar ass dudes, man. Like I think that Jonah Williams would be a 15 year stud up there in Buffalo. And it's exactly it's exactly right. So if you're looking for fit, it'd be it'd be a little bit tough, you know. And granted, I went to this school, but you know, Jawan Taylor, a Florida kid, goes up and plays in Buffalo. I mean, I'm not saying he's he's soft by any means. I'm just saying that you sort of want that you want a good fit uh, geographically too. I mean, if 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 Jawan Taylor ends up in Jacksonville, Jonah Williams ends up as a as a road grader, you know, right tackle, left tackle of the future in Buffalo. It, it'll help your your offense all the way around because you know it, they're still looking for their future, you know, bell cow back, and and you know they've they they still could potentially add you know help to the defensive line. But when it comes down to it, this team needs help protecting the quarterback, and that's why I've got Jonah Williams. Could also see Jawan Taylor being the guy too. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, to- totally agree there. Uh, let's move on to the next one, the number 10. So you actually had this one as the Detroit Lions, whereas I have it as the Denver Broncos. For me, this is easy. I mean, Vic Fangio, um, it, it would be it would be Devin White. We talked about it. I don't think Devin White's off the board for me yet. Right? Yeah, so De- Devin White for sure. Um, you know, new, new head coaches oftentimes like to like – to, um, take players that are going to affect their side of the football. You know what I mean? And, and just, I think that John Elway is actually John Elway, despite the fact that he hasn't been a good evaluator of quarterbacks has been a pretty damn good evaluator of these defensive players. And I think we, all, any of us can see that Devin White's a total stud. Whenever we hear from the people sort of behind the scenes, uh, they, they talk about him in the same way that they talked about guys like Roquan Smith last year. Uh, so even more connection to Fangio, I guess, because that was the first round pick, of course, of the Bears at I believe eight or nine overall last season. I see Devin White as being that guy this year and going to the Denver Broncos. Of course, we know what the outside linebacker spots, they're, they're completely set with two of the most elite edge rushers uh, in the league. But I forget who it is at the weak inside linebacker. Not the dude they drafted last year in the fourth round, Josie Jewell, but the other guy. That guy's Todd, a, Todd Davis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Might be you just comes in and, and becomes your instant Todd Todd Davis re, re, replacement, and it's like it's like a stick of dynamite right there in the middle of that defense. Yeah, absolutely. You know, if Devin White's on the board and the Broncos decide to roll with Joe Flacco and perhaps a quarterback later in the draft, I absolutely could see Devin White being the pick. Uh, you know, from a standpoint of of tools, I think he's probably one of the you know, most polished and, and, and future linebackers, uh, uh, the ability to play in space and downhill, um, his speed off the edge, you know, everything like it. I think he's going to be a hell of a football player. And that's why he'll be in the discussion for number five to the Buccaneers. Um, you know, in this in this situation, I've actually got the Detroit Lions who traded down from eight selecting TJ Hawkinson. So, just talking about, you know, what what do they need to do in, in Detroit uh, to, to really shore up the the offense? So from the standpoint of having Kelly, Kenny Galladay and, and and having, you know, the Marvin Joneses of the world and Danny Amendola, if you had if you had a tight end that can really I mean, from the standpoint of play 12 personnel with Michael Roberts on one side or Jesse James on one side and 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 really have the 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 ability to win in the trenches, to, to be that dual blocking, receiving uh, tight end. I, I, that's why I've got him going TJ Hawkinson. This has a lot to do with the those boys are thinking Gronkowski. Those boys are thinking Gronk, huh? That's exactly what I'm thinking. So yeah. granted, it, it, you know, it could be a nice focal point of, of, of the offense. Um, you take pressure off the receivers and free them up. You know, a lot of those Kenny Galladay and Marvin Jones. A lot of those times, I mean, they're they're in contested catch situations. They're not they're not able to separate because they don't have the space to work with. And I think a guy like T.J. Hawkinson would certainly be an upgrade to that. You know, they could certainly look at the at the defensive line and their pass rush. And and but you know, granted, they did bring in Trey Flowers and pay him all that money this year. I don't necessarily know if if they need to treat edge as uh you know as the the main priority they will definitely consider the montez sweats the brian burns of the world like you have it at eight um but in the end i, I think tj hawkinson's a hell of a football player now but now going back to what you were talking about in denver 
if they do stay at 10, I think the, the other option, if Devin White isn't on the board, is, is this could be a team that looks in, and brings in an offensive lineman. What do you think about that? I think, I mean, I think they probably could, but I mean, they did spend a lot of draft capital on Garrett, on Garrett Bowles. Um, what, like, as far as the, do you think that they could look at the interior or do you think that they would look at offensive tackle? I mean, what do you think? Do you think they would look at interior or they look at offensive tackle? I thought that didn't they recently sign somebody to play right tackle? I'd have to look and see. It seems like they got somebody decent over there. Um, in the oh, at least for last season, let me let me pull up their depth chart. Uh, yeah, no, Juwan James. Yeah, Juwan James. So yeah, so I I think between Garrett Bowles and Juwan James, I mean, if they wanted to go, I just I think it's too early to go in interior here. Um, so I don't think that they will go offensive line this early. The only argument I can make is that if it's if if it's Jonah Williams, where you don't have any faith in Garrett Bowles, I think Garrett. I mean, Bowles was a liability last year in pass protection. So he's a first at, round pick at twenty seventeen, and if they give up on him like that, that'd be, that'd be, that would have been like the Chiefs giving up on Eric Fisher. He's like he's turned out right. good. Right. Well, the point is immediately you need a right guard. So if you draft a guy like Jonah Williams, I think you know you could see a piece like that where you could play you know, four different positions along the offensive line, that would be a consideration. It's not who I think that they're going to take. I, I really do think that they that they could consider Haskins or, or Devin White if he's on the board, and even Devin Bush uh, uh, in the situation. I think he's he should be talked about uh, in, in these top 11 picks, and, and we'll get to that in a second. Yeah, and then I think actually uh, let me get my <laughs> let me get my mock pulled up here. As I was just looking at the uh, looking at the depth chart. Okay, yeah, and so that's I mean for my that's actually that's my next pick, <laughs> the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, I think it's the most obvious pick in the world that you need to send a linebacker to them. The two Devons are the two linebackers you want in this draft. Of course, uh, Devin White from LSU and then Devin Bush from Michigan. What, what I mean, what is your what is your thinking here? You also were sending a linebacker their way. Yeah, so I've got Devin White falling all the way to. 11 and, and really the only reason why Devin White would fall is because you place a premium at other positions so we're definitely going to see a run of defensive linemen at the top of this draft we're definitely going to see a couple offensive linemen go and so in that case it, you know it, it's definitely a, a it, you can see teams passing up on Devin White even though it, he, it's not warranted if well, White he is play, off, well he, he plays an off-ball linebacker position so exactly I mean right. yeah yeah it, it's exactly right so it, you know I could easily see Devin Bush being the pick here I mean, after you lose Vontez Perfect, and, and when he was off the field, the middle of the field was, you know, there, there wasn't that necessary, you know, that, uh, that difference maker, the leader of your team. I think from the standpoint of what both, both of these Devons, Devin White and Devin Bush, if whoever the top guy available is on the board at 11 will be the pick for the Bengals. After that, we have number 12, the, uh, we have number 12, the uh, Green Bay Packers. Uh, I, this is, I guess for me, I'm just, um, I'm just, I talked about Jonah Williams, maybe being such a good fit there in Buffalo. Maybe I'm just intent on sending this dude somewhere cold and snowy because that he's, he's <laughs> my, he's my pick for the, for the Packers. Uh, the, uh, Packers, you know, they, the offensive line is clearly a big need for these guys. They've, they, right now they have, um, they've done a whole lot to really, 
invest in like the young wide receivers there and those in those weapons for Aaron Rodgers. But when you look along the offensive line, man, these guys are starting to get a little a little bit old. And they're and they're also, uh, if I remember when I was doing the research, there's also a few of these guys who are going to have contract situations coming up that are going to be t- a little bit tough to a little bit tough to deal with. And um, I believe, you know, Brian Balaga is getting old and I think he's about to be up. So you, 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 you bring in Jonah Williams. You, I mean, David Bakhtiari should be probably good over there for at least, you know, he's, he was only drafted in 2013, so he should be good for the foreseeable future. But I think that you bring in Jonah Williams, see how things work out with uh, Balaga. If you have to make one of those guys into a swing guy for a little while, that's probably fine. But, man, you have to have, you, you have, to have those cornerstones of the offensive line fortified. For an, for an Aaron Rodgers you know, offense, which this thing's set to be move, moving forward. Um, what do you think about that? Do you think that they would address off, offensive line? And what is your pick for it? Yeah, so their biggest need on the offensive line would be an immediate right guard or a future offensive tackle. You're exactly right. Balaga has, you know, is getting long in the tooth. Um, you, uh, from the standpoint of, of, of what they're going to address at number 12, though, I think it's going to be tough at some point. <laughs> I've got Devin Bush here at twelve. Uh, you know, they- okay. Can I can I just, can I just interrupt you so I can just say okay. So this he Brian Balaga is uh, due due to hit free agency and age thirty one in, in the year twenty twenty. All right, I'm sorry. So back to you, Devin Devin Bush. Yeah, no, it's, it's a great point. And and to that point, the Packers have been one of those organizations that loves to draft for future needs. You know, it's the year after. It's not necessarily the need this year. It's the it's next year. And that comes down to whether or not the rookie can make can truly make an impact for your team. But when you're picking 12 and you can and, and get an impact player immediately, I think, you know, the the, the new age Packers organization uh, without Ted Thompson calling the shots, I think is is going to stray a little bit from the norm. And I think that they're going to look for, you know, speed and athleticism on defense. And, you know, you look at, at their linebacking core in their base three, four, you've got, you know, Blake Martinez and, and, and really, I mean, Oren Burks, I guess, is your other, is, is your other <laughs> yeah. interior presence. Yeah. Case in point, case in point, you've, you've got to be able to stop. That's true. You, right. You've got to have a guy who can play both in coverage and in run support. And I think if either Devin White or Devin Bush were to somehow fall to 12, they would certainly be a target. Now, this is actually a sweet spot for a pass catcher. I, I, I'm going to disagree with you a little bit. I do question whether or not they do have an, a true number two target. I like, you know, Geronimo Allison if he's, when he's healthy. I like Valdez Scantling. I like, uh, you know, uh, St. Brown. But whether or not these guys are, are going to step in and, and be a true number two, I think from the standpoint of Jimmy Graham, I think this is his last year if he doesn't make it out of training camp with him. Uh, it, if he does make it out of training camp. So it, this could be an interesting spot for a TJ Hawkinson uh, at 12. No, I agree. If TJ Hawkinson fell, they would, they would think long and hard about him there. And I'm not saying that I believe in any of the, you know, believe in MBS or ESB or any of these, Jamon Moore, any of these guys, Jake Kumaro. I, I just, I think that they, they did invest through the middle rounds in day three, of, you know, a whole lot of picks last year on those guys. And I think that they're hoping that, a, you know, one or more of them do hit. Uh, all right, and finally, the last one, number 13, the, and we went to 13 because, of course, you had this being where the Miami Dolphins and the New York Jets traded. Uh, I just have it being the Miami's pick, um, and I don't really – I didn't know what to do here. I think that it's just – it's really hard to tell with a new 
you know, new new head coach, new regime down there, defensive head coach. I, part of me thinks that they might go with the best defensive player left on their board, you know, just because they're just rebuilding right now, pieces for the future. And, I, you know, the player I kind of penciled in was Cody Ford, who he's just – because he's just sort of my next uh, offensive – Cody Ford, the offensive tackle from uh, Oklahoma, just because he's my next offensive lineman uh, available. And it seems like when you're building towards the – future and you're not necessarily trying to win now you might be able to bring in a developmental guy like Cody Ford who didn't take as many traditional pass sets as a whole lot of these players that uh, we've talked about before the Jonah Williams the Juwan Taylor certainly not the Andre Dillards etc etc but Cody Ford has a lot of really raw tools that you could maybe build around that could be really good for next year as a you know guy to possibly watch the blind side of the you know uh, to a to a Tonga Vilo, uh, a uh, Justin Herbert, one of these guys, if they do end up going into, into tank mode for uh, one of those QBs in 2020, that's basically my. I, I'm going to need to think through Miami a little bit better before I get to my mock draft, and maybe since this is in a dead zone, sort of like I felt like the, um, sort of like I felt the uh, who was it I thought was a dead zone earlier. The the uh, the Lions, you had them trading out of there. You had the, this is a spot where you have a trade going, and maybe you're smart because this feels a little bit dead to me. What is what is your pick at number thirteen for the New York Giants via the Miami Dolphins? Yeah, so let's let's talk real quickly about the Miami Dolphins' intentions. Uh, the Dolphins are one of the few teams out there between you know new head coach. Brian Flores and GM Chris Greer that have publicly stated that the team is rebuilding and, the, and that they're going to be patient. And you're absolutely right. I mean, it, it, it seems like the vast majority of, of, of people believe that this points to the Dolphins not forcing a quarterback pick and really trying to trade down in this draft. I think that their main goal is going to be to build through the trenches. That's going to be a, a, the, the storyline for the Dolphins in this draft. And, and what that points to is I'm not necessarily saying that they're going to be in tank mode. I am going to say that they're going to prepare themselves to get the best, the most draft capital that they can <laughs> to be able to make a move for one of the top guys in either 2020 or 2021, whether it be Justin Herbert or Trevor Lawrence or, or, or Tua. So when it comes down to it, I think that this is the perfect spot where they're trying to trade down uh, from 13. And, and and I'll just say real quick in my mock draft, I've got them take trading down to 17 and taking Jeffrey Simmons, defensive tackle for Mississippi State. I believe that they're going to draft. In the be I believe that they're be to, you know, to bolster their interior defensive line. I think it comes down to, uh, you know, well, well, first off with Simmons, you've got a guy who probably won't be ready to play until October, November. So you're talking about a redshirt year. This is a guy who has, top five talent that you're getting at the 17th pick after trading down with the Giants. And and really, that's what I see the, the Dolphins doing. I think that they're going to trade down uh, a few spots, maybe pick up some extra picks so that they have the ammo to move up for next year's quarterback. Now, at 13, with, if, the, if the Giants do trade up, and remember, I, I, we can definitely see the Giants going quarterback at six, but we can also see them going edge pass rusher at six. Now, at 13, they would do the inverse. They would take the edge pass rusher if they take the quarterback or the quarterback if they didn't take the edge pass rusher. And in this case, Montez Sweat is still on the board for me. I think that teams might be concerned about the heart issue, but I, I, from all from – all they, they say it's nothing. Exactly. Right? Yeah. And, and so, what, so what they're 
seeing is it, what they're what they're doing is they're they're getting the quarterback at six and the edge pass rusher at thirteen. A guy like Montez Sweat, who they've been known to target or known to covet, he's a size, speed, strength guy who fits all their you know all, all the measurables and, and everything like that from the production standpoint. Now, is he stiff? Yeah. Does he have uh, the ability to win on the edge? Yes, he does. He's shown that with his production. Um, I. This is a situation where you move up four picks to ensure that you get your guy, but you could also see them staying at 17 uh, and, and taking an edge, you know, the best available edge pass rusher there. So again, the Giants' philosophy should, and not necessarily this is what's going to be, should be about taking the quarterback at six because you're going to pay him number six dollars. You can take the edge pass rusher at 17 or trade up to 13 with a team that is dying to move down like the Dolphins and be able to get your quarterback and edge pass rusher.